Hello and welcome to Bible Basics 101. My name is Jordan Mills and I've been teaching the Bible now for about 14 years. I've taught in a lot of different environments, in prisons, in uh, homeless shelters, in uh, apartment houses, of course a lot of one-on-one -on -one Bible studies, I've taught in churches. So I've been teaching the Bible now for 14 years and uh, while I don't claim to be an expert, I uh, have had a lot of experience teaching the Bible and throughout this course it's going to be very basic. I'm just going to talk about the overview of the Old and New Testament. We're going to start with the Old Testament. But before we get into that, here in this first course we're going to talk about the Bible itself, what makes it unique. And uh, I want to do that here for just a few moments. Each lesson is going to last about 30 minutes or so. Uh, possibly maxing out at 45 minutes. But before we begin this first lesson, I would like for us to bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to come into the presence of the Lord to study the Word of God. Lord, I'm asking you today to anoint the ears of every hearer and anoint me as the speaker. Please lead us and guide us today through your Holy Word. Give us understanding and revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to read a few verses of Scripture to establish the fact that the Bible is not just another book. There's a lot of books out there, a lot of books with man's opinion in them, um, but the Bible does not claim to be the opinion of man. It claims to be the Word of God. And just to prove that point, I want to go to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. The book of 2 Timothy, of course, is in the New Testament. It comes right after 1 Timothy and it's before Titus. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, I want to draw your attention to the fact that Paul was writing this letter before the entire New Testament was in circulation. And what this means is he's speaking about the Old Testament. A point I want to make is that there's a lot of Christians that just kind of take the Old Testament and throw it out because they say, well, we're under the age of grace, therefore we don't need the Old Testament anymore. And so they don't really take time to read it. But I want to establish the fact that the New Testament authors, all they had to go off of, of was the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't yet in circulation. And so... Um, they did believe fully that the Old Testament was inspired of God. Now, the scripture I'd like to read to establish this point is a little further on in the Bible, closer to the back of the Bible. It's the book of 2 Peter, of course, coming after 1 Peter and coming right before 1 John. 2 Peter, chapter number 1 and verse 20. 2 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 20. And it says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In other words, this did not have its origin in man's opinion. It was actually the Spirit of God moving upon mankind, inspiring him to write the words of God. Now, I want to establish the fact that God did use 
mankind to speak his word and to write his word. He used their characteristics. He used their personality. Uh, for instance, in the Old Testament, Isaiah was a very educated man. Isaiah, uh, his writings are brilliant and they're beautiful. Solomon, an extremely wise man, educated man. His writing is extremely brilliant. But then there's also writers like the prophet Amos that was a simple farmer before God called him to be a prophet. And so his writing is very simplistic. So there's different characteristics. There's different personalities in the writing. But make no mistake about it. It is the word of God. Now, I want to read a few more verses of Scripture to tell you that Jesus believed the Old Testament was inspired of God. This was his teaching. Let's go to the book of John, chapter 5, and verse 39. The book of John, chapter number 5, and verse 39. It comes right after Luke, comes right before Acts in the New Testament. John, chapter 5, in verse 39, and if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, this will be in red letters, meaning it's the words of Jesus. John chapter 5 and verse 39 says this, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. I'm going to read that again. Search the scriptures. So remember, only the Old Testament was in circulation. Search the scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament. For in them you think you have eternal life. Now Jesus is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, men that were very learned in the law. They studied the law day and night. They knew the scriptures very well. Jesus is saying this. He says, search those scriptures. He said, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. In other words, if you'll really search those scriptures and you'll do it with a sincere heart, you'll find out that those scriptures testify about me. There's many Old Testament prophecies that speak about Jesus Christ, that spoke about the fact of where he would be born, that spoke about the fact that he would be born of a virgin, that spoke about the fact that he would do miracles, and that he would, uh, that he would die for our sin, that he would uh, suffer beatings, and uh, that also speak about the way he would teach in parables. Uh, so... He said, if you'll really search those Old Testament scriptures, you'll find out that they testify about me. Now, let's read another verse of scripture. Let's go back one book and go to the book of Luke. Luke is right before John. And let's go to the book of Luke, chapter number 24. And once again, we're going to read the words of Jesus. This is after Jesus had been crucified. He had been buried and he was raised from the dead. And he speaks these words to, the, to uh, the disciples in the book of Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, watch this, which were written in the law of Moses, okay, and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying... Um, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses. What's the law of Moses? First five books of your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the law of Moses. Then he says, and in the prophets. That encompasses uh, all of the Old Testament prophets. And then he says, and in the Psalms concerning me. 
what did what was Jesus saying here? If you really study into this, what Jesus is doing is he is validating the Old Testament scriptures, and he's saying that those Old Testament scriptures and their entirety speak about me. And so they shouldn't have been taken by surprise of what Jesus did, because those Old Testament scriptures prophesied about him. They spoke about him in prophecy. For instance, Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Uh, Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Um, and then we have, of course, the beautiful Suffering Servant passage in the book of Isaiah. And you can read uh, this. It's so beautiful. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 1, it says this. Uh, this is the Old Testament, by the way. This comes right before the book of Jeremiah. Uh, and so this is what it says here. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Watch this, verse 5 of chapter 53 of Isaiah. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Let me give you another example of a scripture that testifies about the Lord Jesus. Let's go to the book of Psalm, and that's a kind of in the middle of your Bible. And the book of Psalm chapter 22. And this is very beautiful. And some of this is going to sound very familiar to you. When Jesus was on the cross, one of the words that he spoke was this. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, I'm going to show you Jesus didn't just pull that out of thin air. Jesus spoke that for a reason. He was trying to draw those people that were at the foot of the cross to the scriptures and show them that what was happening was being fulfilled. Let's go to the book of Psalm chapter 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. Now let's skip down here just a little bit. It says in verse number 12, Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. What is this talking about? It's talking about my enemies. It says, They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. Once again, his enemies. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Watch this. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my, my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. 
What is this talking about? It's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You can read this in the Gospels, that they pierced his hands and his feet. They, they walked around him. And uh, they, they spoke of him and they said, if you're really the son of God, come down from the cross. They mocked him. And this is what it's talking about here. And remember, another thing is the Roman soldiers parted his garments am among them and they cast lots for his vesture. This was all prophesied in the book of Psalm chapter number 22. Very, very beautiful. And there's scripture after scripture after scripture that speak about Jesus in your Old Testament. That's why it's so important that we read the Old Testament, that we study it, because one of the most powerful witnesses about who Jesus was, what he came to do, is in your Old Testament. Not only is he spoken about in prophecy, and we'll get more specifically into more prophecies, because he fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Yes, you heard that right. Over 300 Old Testament prophecies. But not only is he spoken about in prophecy, he's also spoken about in typology. Now, the word uh, typology just simply means a type and a shadow of something that was to come. For instance, Israel was tempted in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Moses went up on the mountain with God. He fasted for 40 days. Jesus went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. Uh, Moses was given the law on Mount Sinai. Jesus went up on a mountain and taught and said, You have heard it said, many times quoting the law, but I say unto you, giving them uh, the law. He didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. But when Jesus did that, he was up on a mountain. You see, there's a lot of things in typology here. And so uh, it spoke about him in prophecy, but it also spoke about him in typology. Now, another point I want to make is that the Bible does not claim just to be another book. It claims to be the Word of God. We mentioned this earlier. I read all Scripture. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16 is given by inspiration of God. That word in the Greek, that little phrase there, it means God breathed. God breathed. God breathed it into existence. God spoke, uh, and men spoke, and they wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Again, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. So, the Bible is not just another book. Man didn't just sit down and say, uh, well, I'm going to kind of map out what I'd like to write here, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to give my opinion here, and then I'm going to give some evidence to back up my opinion. No, over 300 times you read, the Lord said, God spake unto them, saying, God said, because the Bible claims to be the Word of God. Now, if I could present it this way to you, just to get you to think. You can't just take the Bible as a good book. Well, it's a good book. Um, and it's, you know, good every now and then to pull it down and read it. It's got some good advice in it. No, it claims to be the Word of God. And here's the point. It either is or it isn't. But if it isn't, then it's deranged. It's wicked. It's twisted if it's not the Word of God, because it claims to be the Word of God. And so, why do I mention this? I mention this because when we read the Bible, we need to be very careful not to take it and twist it 
for our own good, for our own interpretation, and say, well, you know, this this is good, but um, you know, it, it's it's for the culture of that day, and it doesn't really have any application for us today. No, remember what Second Timothy chapter three and verse number sixteen said: All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Again, all Scripture it's profitable for doctrine. That means teaching for reproof for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the men of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. You need all Scripture to be perfect, to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, hopefully I've established that point well enough, uh, but there's many other Scriptures I could talk about in the New Testament where Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. They quoted the Old Testament many many, many times. Now remember, going back to the book of Luke where he said uh, the things were fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, again covering the first five books of the Bible, and in the prophets covering all the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. And some scholars have looked into this and said basically he affirmed uh, the entirety of the Old Testament with this statement. So when we get into the Old Testament, I don't want you just to take this and read it like you'd read any other book. Because I want to read a few other verses of Scripture here to show you how important the Bible is for us today. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4. The book of Hebrews uh, is a very beautiful book, um, and it comes right after the book of Philemon. It's in the New Testament, closer to the back of your Bible, and it comes right before the book of James. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 4, and verse number 12 says this, for the word of God is quick and powerful. That means it's living and it's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. One man said it this way. He said it cuts going in and it cuts going out. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I want to say this again. For the word of God is quick and powerful. That means living and active. The difference between the Bible and any other book is that the Bible is alive. What does that mean for us? It means that the Bible can be applied to your life today. It may have been written thousands of years ago, but you can still take it and still apply it to your life today. Why? Because it's the Word of God. It's living and it's active. If you'll apply it to your life, it'll still work for you today. Now somebody might say, well, prove to me that the Bible is the Word of God. Prove it to me. You say it's the Word of God, prove it to me. I'm going to tell you something. One of the most powerful proofs for the Word of God is the fact that it works. Now, there's a lot of different proofs. There's a lot of different evidences uh, for the fact that the Bible is the Word of God. And maybe we'll get into some of that later. But really in this course, my, my point is not to establish the fact that it is the Word of God. I want to actually teach it to you. In a future course, perhaps we'll go into what makes the Bible unique and how we know it's inspired of God. And we'll talk about some of the beautiful prophecies. But before we get into that, I do want to make one point, is that some of the most powerful evidence is experiential evidence. And somebody might say, well, you know, experience, it, 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 it differs. You know, uh, this person might say, well, my experience proves what I believe. And another person might say, well, my experience proves what I believe. While it is true uh, that uh, you might have an experience that you feel proves the validity of what you believe, and I might have a different experience that proves uh, the validity of what I believe, and it might be two totally different beliefs, Experiential evidence is very powerful, and let me give this illustration. Let's say that a new restaurant opened in town, and 
you were trying to decide whether or not to go to this restaurant because you heard it's expensive and you're not sure it's going to be worth the money. And so uh, this brand new restaurant, um, you're trying to decide whether or not to go and you have several friends that's gone. So you talk to one of your friends and you said, what do you think? He said, man, it was awesome. So you think, man, I think I am going to go. Then you talk to another friend that went and he said, oh, it was terrible, man. The service was awful. The food tasted disgusting. It was terrible. And so you decide, uh-huh, well, I'm, I'm not sure what to do here. And so you go online and you look at reviews and you got some five-star reviews and then you got some one-star reviews. Well, if you want to know whether or not it's a good restaurant, just go and try it out. And it's the same thing with the Bible. Uh, why don't you just try it out? Try out some of its principles. Try out to see if it works. Because some of the most powerful evidence is experiential evidence. Uh, you've got to experience it to know that it works. I, I think with evidence, um, evidence can open you up to the validity of the Bible. By all means, go and do investigations on the Bible itself. There's all kinds of good books out there uh, about the validity of the Bible. Go read them. Uh, evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell is a very good book. Go read it. Look into it. Study the evidence. Uh, another uh, Another beautiful uh, book that I've read and, and I really enjoy is Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. Uh, Lee Strobel's written many good books called uh, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, uh, The Case for a Creator. Some of these books are incredible. Go read them. Look into the evidence for the Bible. Discover it for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. But I want to tell you something. After you've looked into the evidence, hopefully that evidence will open you up to the validity of the Bible. But even if you just go and look into all the evidence and finally decide, you know what, I think the Bible is the Word of God. It won't do nothing for you to just believe it's the Word of God until you start applying its principles to your life. The proof is in the pudding. Just try it and see if it works. Having established this point and just kind of given you a brief introduction to the Old Testament and told you why it's important, uh, why the Bible is unique. It claims to be the Word of God. Uh, another thing is the Bible was written by eyewitnesses. This is not just uh, opinion uh, for what they thought somebody taught a long time ago. This isn't a biography in the sense of, you know, um, I have many wonderful biographies. I love to read presidential biographies, and uh, a few of them uh, were written uh, way after the fact. You're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years after the fact. There's many good biographies that's been written about Alexander the Great, for instance, and about Napoleon Bonaparte, and uh, about different presidents of the United States. George Washington. I've read many good books about George Washington. Read many good books about U.S. history. But you know what? These were not written by eyewitnesses. These were written by men uh, that that went back and read their writings and read their original reports and they did a great job but they did not know them personally but one thing that makes the Bible so uh, so much different than all of these other books is for instance Matthew Mark Luke and John these were men that were eyewitnesses or were closely associated with eyewitnesses for instance Matthew was a disciple of Jesus Matthew was a disciple of Jesus uh, Mark 
It's believed by scholars that Mark was written first and that Mark uh, was written from the perspective of Peter. He interviewed Peter. Peter helped him uh, to write his gospel, gave him his eyewitness account. The book of Luke, he says that he interviewed people that were eyewitnesses. Uh, the book of John, John was a disciple of Jesus. He was an eyewitness. It wasn't just conjecture. It wasn't just something that they heard from, you know, uh, uh, the fifth party down the road. No, this is something that they were, they were eyewitnesses, and they wrote about their eyewitness testimony. It's very, very powerful. Um, I'm reminded in the book of 1 John, if I could take some time to read this here, the book of 1 John, which is closer to the back of the Bible, and this is what he says in the book of 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 1, That's what, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So this this was written by eyewitness testimony. The New Testament was written by eyewitness, uh, was written, excuse me, by eyewitness testimony. Uh, when it comes to, now you say that's, that's talking about the New Testament and that's just John. Well, let's read in the book of Luke chapter number one. Let's go to the book of Luke chapter number one. And we'll talk about the Old Testament here in just a minute. But the Luke, book of Luke chapter number one says this, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Notice that again, verse number two, even as they delivered them unto us, they, who's they? He says, which were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Luke isn't just writing what he thinks happened. Luke is writing what he knows happened because he interviewed eyewitnesses. Again, Matthew was an eyewitness. Uh, Mark uh, interviewed Peter. Peter told him uh, about what happened. Luke uh, interviewed eyewitnesses. And John was a disciple. These aren't just biographies. These were written by eyewitnesses witnesses are men that interviewed eyewitnesses. Okay? And it was written during the lifetime of the eyewitness, of the eyewitnesses. All right. So uh, many beautiful things that could be talked about, but then you say, that's good for the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? Well, here's something else that's beautiful. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were written by Moses. And Moses tells us what happened. Okay, Moses tells us what happened. Moses tells us about the Exodus. Guess what? He was there. Moses tells us about going up on the mountain and getting the word of God. Guess what? He was there. And it was written during the lifetime of those Israelites. If it was a false report, they could have easily disproved it. It was written in their lifetime. It was circulated during their lifetime, during the people, uh, the lifetime of the people that saw these things firsthand. Okay, the book of Joshua. Guess what? Joshua was the man that went in to conquer uh, 
to conquer Canaan. And so Joshua wrote these things. And again, it was written during the lifetime of those people that knew of these events. It was circulating. They knew about it. They could have said, Joshua, you're lying with these writings. We, we know these things didn't happen, but they knew them. they happened because it was written during their lifetime. And we could go on and on talking about um, the beauty of the Old Testament written by eyewitnesses of these things. So again, it's not just... Uh, ancient biography and it's not just stories and myths because some people may say well the Bible's just full of mythology a lot like you know other mythology Greek mythology and you got all these other uh, uh, things written about all of these mythological gods no these were written by actual people that lived and these were written about actual people that lived okay um, Jesus was not a mythological character. He's mentioned in history books. He's mentioned in Josephus, the Jewish historian, who was opposed to Christianity. Okay, uh, he, He's written about by Tacitus. He's, he's written about, uh, it's actually written in history books. So we're not just talking about mythological characters. We're talking about people that actually lived and events that actually happened. That's one thing that differentiates the Bible from other books. Now let's compare, for instance, the Bible to the Quran. You may say, well, the Bible claims to be the Word of God, but so does the Quran. Yes, but think about this. The Quran was written by one man who claims he had a revelation given to him by the angel Gabriel. But I want you to think about that just for a minute. You're taking one man's uh, word for it. One man. Whereas in the Bible, you have many, many different authors who wrote and circulated these things during their lifetime. The New Testament was being circulated during the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Okay? And so, uh, for instance, they said Jesus rose from the dead. Let me tell you something. If his body was still in that tomb... Uh, those Jews that were so opposed to the message of Christianity could have gone and gotten the body, just dug it up and said, here's his body, see, they're lying. But apparently they couldn't disprove it. They, ne they couldn't even try to disprove it. Uh, they could, all they had to do was say, uh, you know, well, the disciples apparently stole the body, which that was sheer ridiculousness. There were Roman guards placed around the tomb. Uh, the stone was too heavy to roll away. Uh, just just a few men and, and to grab the body and they would have had to somehow get past those Roman soldiers. No, that's ridiculous. Okay, but, but they were trying to somehow explain it away. But my point is simply this. If it wasn't true, it could have easily been disproven because it was written during the lifetime of eyewitnesses. And so what makes the Bible unique is it's written by many different authors. Um, it, for instance, the Old Testament alone took many, many years to write it. It took over a thousand years to write the Old Testament. And it's written by approximately somewhere around 32 authors, if I remember correctly. And so you have men from all different kinds of walks of life. I mentioned earlier, you've got men like Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. You've got Isaiah, very intellectual, very intelligent. Then you've got a simple farmer like Amos. Um, and then in the New Testament, you've got simple fishermen uh, that write, like Peter and John. But then you also have Paul, a very educated man. And then you have Luke, a very educated man. They say when you're learning Greek, uh, you, you start by reading things like Mark because Mark writes very simplistically. Uh, but then as you get more advanced, you start reading the writings of Paul. And finally, when you get more advanced, you read the writings of Luke. Uh, 
So it goes all the way from men that weren't very uh, super intellectuals to men that were super intellectuals. Men from totally different backgrounds. Some of them wrote hundreds and thousands of years apart, yet they all agree. Why? Because it was inspired of God. The Quran was, was written by one man, Muhammad. And it has many contradicting, contradicting things written in it. But the Bible was written by many different men, yet it all agrees. Why? Because it was inspired of God. Thank you for tuning in to this first lesson of the Bible 101. This is just a simple, basic overview of the Bible. What makes it unique? Uh, the fact that it claims to be the Word of God. Just to kind of do a little bit of brief review, Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament affirmed the New Testament by prophecy. And so Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. Paul affirmed the Old Testament. Peter affirmed the Old Testament. All of it was uh, claims to be inspired of God. Over 300 times it says, The Lord said, God said, God spake unto them, saying. So it claims to be the Word of God. It was written by many different men, many different backgrounds, many different areas. Some of them wrote in palaces. Some of them wrote in caves. Uh, but it's all inspired of God, and that's why it all agrees. So what makes the Bible different? It was written by eyewitnesses. It claims to be the Word of God. And it, it speaks prophetically about things that, were, that came to pass hundreds of years ago, and still prophecies are being fulfilled because it's the Word of God. Let's pray before we uh, end this session here. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word of the Lord. We know it's not just an ordinary book. We know your word is inspired by you. I pray, Lord, that as we actually begin to, to dive into the word of God in future sessions, that you would speak to us and give us understanding and revelation. Help us, Lord God, to understand your word, to be obedient to it. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. In this next lesson, Lesson two, we will be discussing actually the book of Genesis. We will talk about the creation account and we'll go all the way from the creation through the fall of Adam and Eve, how they got kicked out of the garden, how sin entered into the world.